We've had, I think, a wonderful journey the last six weeks studying the book of Daniel. I hope that for those of you who've been here, it's, it's been something that you have enjoyed. I also know we have folks here for the first time. No big deal. We'll be uh, jumping right in where everyone can pick up. But I think, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I think it's been my favorite series that we've ever taught here at Providence in 15 years. I've just learned so much. Uh, all these new discoveries. I do reserve the right to say that for every other series that comes after this. But right now, right now, I've just been super pumped about Daniel. And for me, I don't know if this has been for you, I've just felt called into a deeper, a deeper life and a deeper walk with, with Jesus. Um, it's felt like the words, the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, has just had something to say right to us. So I invite you to open up yourself uh, to the spirit today. It feels like God is pouring out his goodness and abundance um, in a really deeply spiritual way. Um, so I have three statements for you today that will kind of wrap up the book of Daniel. It sort of wraps up the life of Daniel. Um, but for us to hear it, I want you to be thinking about where you're at in this season of your life and what it might mean for, for the next season. But a, a few things as we've, as we've studied Daniel. The first is this. Daniel embraces the work and the weird of the Spirit. So over the course of Daniel's life, he grows in this embrace, not just of where God's spirit is working. He's doing that over and over. But there begin to be these things, like we talked about, in the spiritual realm that he begins to see and notice and, and take account for. <clears throat> what you might call weird stuff, like this week, we find that Daniel is now at the end of his life talking to angels. Talking to angels toward the end, end of his life. It's not just a Black Crow song. It's, it's Daniel's life. So anyways, I'm from the 90s. I'll, I'll move on. Daniel's life moves from I to we. So Daniel's life moves from I to we. What I mean by that is Daniel is a hero figure. And so many people look at him and say, Daniel does this, Daniel does this. But what we see in Daniel's life is he's moving from saying, I did this, or God is doing this in me, to actually using the word we when we might be using the word I. And I want to think about what that might mean for our lives. And then the third thing is Daniel's heart, which should have grown bitter, grew better. Daniel's heart, which had every reason to come to a place of bitterness in his life, a hardness of heart, an anger, even a lashing out, we will see. Most people would have shriveled up with bitterness if you had encountered what Daniel encountered in his life. But Daniel goes a different way. And it's very easy for us, isn't it, as we go through difficult things in our lives to grow bitter in our hearts. I was sitting out on my front porch uh, this week, actually, and reflecting back on these 15 years and kind of preparing for next week. And I had to admit, I had a couple of tears in my eyes. I had to realize that as I reflected back on the 15-year-ago Jacob, that there is some tenderness in me that has grown uh, more hardened. You know what I mean? In 15 years. Uh, yes, the hair went from brown to silver, but there have been other things that I've lost <laughs> that, that, I have, that, I have, uh, that I was grieving. And when you go through, you know, just living your life and being an adult, you know, you do gain what might be called a thick skin. But I just thought, man, I don't, want, um, I don't want to look back. I don't want that to be my legacy to my, to my children, you know, that yeah, dad was really tough. Or even something that Rachel would remember. I'm, I'm hoping that there's something um, in my heart that is still tender towards God. But we can't go back, right? We can't unlive or unlearn some of the difficult things that we've been through. You and I have gone through hard things, and, and it could make us be hard. But what I want to tell you today is you don't have to grow that way. With Jesus, you can actually have a heart that grows better, not bitter. And Daniel shows us how. That's what we'll be looking at today. Daniel chapter 9, if you want to look along in your Bible, uh, we'll be looking uh, at a prayer that Daniel prays. Uh, last week, we looked at a dream that Daniel had. So we looked at a 2,500-year-old dream. This week, we're looking at a very old prayer. 
In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is now 50, 60, maybe almost 70 years into exile, meaning it was some years back that he was pulled out of Jerusalem and brought to the Babylonian capital where his gifts and talents were used. But he's been doing it a long time now. That's why I said he had every reason to be bitter. He's still not back home. And so that's, that's where we pick up. Daniel 9, 1 says, it was in the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, uh, the son of, and I've been skipping that name all, all morning. I don't know how to, looks like a dinosaur, who uh, became king of the Babylonians. And the second verse says, during the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. And I know when we first look at that, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But what Daniel's saying is he was reading the book of Jeremiah. Daniel was reading the scrolls of the prophecy that, that we look at as well. And it said there, or his interpretation of it, is that Jerusalem was gonna lay desolate for 70 years, that it was gonna be in this condition of exile for 70 years. Well, Daniel is almost 70 years in exile. And so he reads this and he begins to think, I'm going to live to see the other side of this thing. Daniel's thinking, I, you know, 70 years, and it's almost been 70 years. Daniel's thinking, you know, I might have a cane, I might be in a wheelchair, but I'm going back to Jerusalem. And this is his response. Verse three, it says, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And what follows is Daniel's prayer, Daniel chapter nine. It's a very long prayer. And I'm going to read to you this morning the whole prayer because We've been walking with Daniel for six weeks, and it just, I just felt like it just wouldn't do justice if we said, let's look at a couple things that Daniel said in his prayer. Okay, so um, it's a long prayer, but we're going to hear it and maybe pray it together as we hear it. Daniel 9 verse 4 says, O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. He keeps praying. He says, oh, Lord, we and our kings and princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. But the Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving, forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord, our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets, all Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. This is still his prayer. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we refuse to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, 
Lean down and listen to me. Open your ears and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city bear your name. Now, I get it. That's a long prayer. But what Daniel is doing here is worth looking at the full, uh, the full account. Daniel is the guy who by every measure lived a really good, faithful life. Daniel, is, as almost anyone that would study it would see, Daniel is the one who sort of, he got it right. When he could have compromised, he stood strong. When he could have just been a successful Babylonian, he remained a faithful Jew. Daniel got it right. But when he prays to God, when the guy who we would look at and say, say he got it right, when he prays to God, he says, I got it wrong. It's worth noting. When Daniel looks at, at his life, he says to God, when he prays, when he realizes he might get this thing he's been hoping for, he tells God, I got it wrong. What he actually says, some of you might be thinking, that's not exactly what he said. It's not. What he actually says is, we got it wrong. I will quote. He says, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have rebelled. We have refused. He says, our faces are covered with shame. He says, this is true for all of us. So Daniel has moved to we language as it regards how they got where they got. So when he's looking at the condition of where everybody is, he's saying we had a part to play in this. One of the best things about going to therapy, going to counseling, is learning that all your problems are all your parents' fault, right? <laughs> you get to sit there and think, man, they messed up. Man, they messed up everything. And I'm only sort of joking because really what you learn is that all those who've come before us have messed up. And even the greatest parents, like I had, uh, I'm being serious, um, they're not perfect. And even you who are trying to be a perfect parent aren't going to get everything right. And so um, when life is tough, and it's always tough, one of the things that we can do that oftentimes we're led to is we blame other people. And that's an easy, we just say, oh, it's all their fault. And blame and bitterness go together. Blame and bitterness go together. So Daniel, 60, 70 years into exile, is reading the book of Jeremiah and is motivated not to be bitter and blame, but to pray and confess. I want you to hear those four words again. Instead of being bitter and blaming, he prays and confesses his own part in it. Instead of all this bad stuff has happened to me, he says, I've played a part in all this stuff and he confesses it with a we. He talks about God's righteousness four times in the prayer. It's very significant. He calls upon the righteousness of God. And usually when we think about righteousness, if we ever were to think about that, is we would think that means someone is getting it all right. If someone is righteous, we think they're the one who does everything right. But the Hebrew understanding of righteousness that Daniel would have had was not just that righteousness means getting it all right. It also would mean that that person treats other people in the right way. That's actually the, the fundamental understanding of righteousness for Daniel would be he was saying to God, you are righteous. I know that you are going to treat us in the right way. And so he recounts over and over, we've done bad stuff. And so we know we're going to encounter bad stuff in our lives. We've sinned, and so we're going to encounter the punishment for that sin. But he also calls upon God to say, remember, God, you are you're going to treat us the right way, and your very nature is one who's always pouring out mercy. 
So when Daniel is calling upon the righteousness of God, he's not just saying, and that means we're gonna get it. He's reminding God, we know how you treat your people, which is always abounding in mercy. God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful. It's both. God is a God where there are consequences for our sins, but he's also a God of covenant. And one is not more than the other. And, and that's actually true love because God is perfectly merciful. Even though there are consequences, there's always rescue. It's the perfect system because we have the perfect God. And by using we language, Daniel is not just including himself in God treating him the right way. He knows what he's doing. He's saying, we did all this, God. We confess this to you. We have messed up. And so he's extending the mercy of God, the full mercy of God to all the people. All right. And then after that, he talks to Gabriel, who's an angel, the same angel that shows up to Mary sometime later, tells her she's going to be pregnant with Jesus. That same Gabriel talks to Daniel on more than one occasion. And Gabriel tells Daniel, he says, I know you've read this prophecy that for 70 years, Jerusalem is going to lie desolate. And Gabriel tells Daniel, you read the prophecy wrong. It's not 70 years. It's 70 times seven years. And Daniel's like, oh man. Because their rebellion, the consequences of the rebellion of the people of God is going to last much longer than Daniel would ever live. And I see this happen all the time in our lives. We think that we've made it to the end of that 70 years. We've been hanging on this hard thing we've been going through and we get to the end and we, and we see out before us more hard stuff. Some of you walked into the room this morning with that right before you. I've been doing this hard thing. I've been enduring this hard thing. And I, I thought it was going to end. And instead it's like relapse, reoccurrence, grief. The person who broke my trust broke my trust again. You think you're at the end of 70 years and it's 70 times seven. So how does Daniel get that kind of news and still be the kind of prophet that we would talk about today? I mean, the prediction uh, for any normal person would be like, and so that's when Daniel, uh, you know, threw the towel in. That's when Daniel gave up. That's when Daniel got bitter. <laughs> that's, but it's not. We see something different, and it's because of the condition of Daniel's heart. So let me tell you about Daniel's heart at the end of his days. After all he'd been through, he had a tender heart, not a hardened heart, a grateful heart, not an angry heart, and a confident heart not a hesitant heart. So the first one, a tender heart, not a hardened heart. Daniel's heart after decades of really hard stuff was just tender towards God, you know, bent towards prayer, talking about God's mercy. How did that, how's that happen? It's because Daniel's heart, a condition the, the Bible would call was contrite. His heart remained contrite through all things. Contrite means humble and sorry. Daniel, who hardly ever got it wrong, remained with a humble heart and he would be sorry for the condition of the things before him. If you want to make it through hard stuff with a tender heart, you'll have to continually repent yourself. To look at your own self and say, oh God, I realize that I got it wrong. The second thing is a grateful heart, not an angry heart. <laughs> Daniel's heart was, he very rarely showed anger. And anger has its place. Anger is not a bad thing at all. We all get angry. But there's no evidence in the Bible that an, a heart full of anger 
is indicative of a follower of God. Someone who's just walking around with anger pouring out. And people, whenever I say something like that, you know, people always say, well, what about, Pastor, what about when Jesus turned over the tables in the, in the temple? That, that looked really angry, didn't it? And the answer would be yes, that looked really angry. But it doesn't say that Jesus was angry. Instead, he probably was, he probably was a bit angry, but what I'm saying is that the evidence that moment is that Jesus was fully righteous and he was in a situation that demanded the righteousness of God, some justice to be had. And so he said, this is wrong. And he turned over the tables. So the antidote to an angry heart is a grateful heart. But what we see in Daniel's life is that will require the discipline of gratitude in his life, not just being grateful here or there. Remember where we said Daniel was devoted, different, and disciplined. And he was disciplined in his gratitude. I've been trying to do that, trying to cultivate a life of gratitude. So I've been doing this thing where at the end of the day, I try to tell myself a story of something that happened in my day, just full of gratitude. So I I did this this week, Thursday night, I went to a middle school football game of one of my best friends, my college roommate, his son had come to town to play uh, middle school against uh, Mount Juliet Christian Academy. And so I go to watch him and I walk him in the stands and my old buddy gives me a big hug. I hadn't seen him in a while, you know, his parents were there, two people who'd kind of helped raise me up. They gave me a hug. His mom gave me a kiss on the cheek. And then uh, Dave's, uh, my friend's wife was there and we love her. I hadn't seen her in a while. Her mom was there. She knows me. I was a part of their wedding. It was so great. We watched uh, their son's football game, middle school football. It's like lots of penalties. Like more penalties than, I was just like, just let, the, just let the boys play, you know, just let the boys play. But anyway, it was fun to be there. I got in my car and I was just felt, I didn't used to do this, but I just felt overwhelmed with gratitude. I have a great friend. I even know his parents. And I got to see his son play football. Man, what a gift. The next morning, Rachel and I got up and we took our middle daughter to visit a, uh, a college, a university trip. But it wasn't just us. Actually, someone who joined us was a friend of mine uh, who is a pastor and he went to this university. And so he, he went with us, got the tickets to the football game. Um, we drove all the way down there. He gave up his whole weekend to be with us and my daughter. He bought us dinner that night. We couldn't believe you pick up the tab. We're like, no, 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 we brought you here. And he's like, no, this is my, my gift to this experience. And um, we, uh, we, we just had this, this great time, went to the football game and it, it, it was so cool. And I, was, I sent him a text this morning. And I just said, man, thank you for having such a kind heart to be such a great friend. I felt so much gratitude walking in here this morning. So my discipline in gratitude is I do this thing on Saturdays called uh, Gratitude Saturday. So I just keep this list in a journal. I write Gratitude Saturday. And on Saturdays, I try to write all the things that I'm grateful for. It's a discipline. So yesterday, I'm in Oxford, Mississippi, right, at this college. And, but, I, but it's a discipline. And so I got up early, and I went to this coffee shop, and I go in, and I've got my journal. And everybody there is dressed, and they're ready for the football game. All anybody's thinking about is the football game. Like, rah, 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 you know, football game, you know, toddy my hottie and all this stuff about this football game. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I just want to do the gratitude. So I'm getting my cup of coffee, and the kid who's selling me the coffee, he says, well, what, what's, uh, it's a kind of a cool journal. He says, well, what's, what's with that? Why do, you have a, why do you have a journal? And I was like, oh, um, I said, actually, I do this thing on Saturday. Every Saturday, I just write down everything I can think about that I'm, I'm grateful for. I just write it all down here in this journal. And, and he says to me, the kid behind the counter, he says, well, that sounds like a holy practice. And I said, hotty toddy, you know. <laughs> but, you know I was getting, I was getting, I was figuring I was figuring it out. But you need to find some way. It, life's too hard that you would just be grateful here or there. To be disciplined in it can make your heart um, grow better, 
grow in a different way. If not, it'll grow bitter. The third is a confident heart, not a hesitant heart. I want you to hear the words that I'm going to say now. Daniel was not a wimp. He was not tentative. He was bold. He was courageous. But it was because his heart was confident in God. So confident that he would go sleep with lions and not worry about it. And here's what I want you to know. You can have a confident heart. You don't have to be hesitant about everything. You don't have to live scared. Daniel grows this confident heart by constantly holding out the hope of a real rescue from a fully righteous, just, and fully merciful God. And that made him confident in what was coming forward. Daniel, at the end of his day, still living in exile, you know, I picture him, his hair has turned gray. I bet maybe this beautiful, majestic silver hair at the end of his life shows his wisdom. Everything he says is, is wise. He's talking to angels. The world says, as you grow old, you'll either end up being some sort of fumbling, bumbling person who people have to put up with as a burden, or you'll be this hardened heart kind of jerk person. But the God of Daniel says something else. Our God says that you grow stronger as you grow older, that you can grow bolder as you grow older, that you can grow kinder as you grow older, that you can go deeper with God as you get older, that you can pray more, that you can see visions, that you can talk to angels, that you can teach generations that will come after you and they will listen to you and they will look to you and they'll talk about you and you can serve the poor and you can live because those who follow God are not moving from life to death, they're moving from life to life. And so it would make sense that as we go through our life following God, we start getting stronger and more full of love and more full of the heart of God. We look at the example of Daniel, see as he aged, he became more like Jesus. Two weekends ago, I was in Cape Coral, Florida at a church called Grace Church at the retirement celebration of a pastor ending 39 years of pastoral ministry. His name is George Acevedo, and he's been a mentor and a friend to me for a lot of years now. This is at the service. Uh, that's George and his wife, Cheryl, getting prayed over at the end. And, you know, I've known, uh, I've known George a long time. I, I know his story. He's a recovering alcoholic. He's walked through similar struggles with his closest family members. Last year, a hurricane ravaged Cape Coral and Fort Myers. Their church has been still being put back together. But he's also seen more glory in his ministry than one man deserves. And person after person at their retirement celebration was testifying about George's influence in their life. So many of them recovery stories. His first Sunday at the church, he told them he was an alcoholic. And people were like, what? And now this whole ministry has been people at different levels of addiction and recovery finding Jesus. And Rachel and I heard testimony and testimony over them. In fact, I was one of the people they asked to come on stage and share a testimony of how George had changed my life. And he was sitting right across the aisle from us and I saw his heart. He just wept the whole time, 40 years a pastor and his heart so tender. They actually brought out the first person that he ever led to Christ. He didn't know she was going to be there. She was a teenager in his youth group when he was in seminary 40 years ago. They called her Punky, and she didn't, he didn't know she was going to be there. They bring her out on the stage. She's, you know, a grown lady now, a professor at a university. And I, we grabbed a picture of George. That's right when she walked out. His wife celebrating him like, I can't believe it. And George got up and his parting words to the church, he's not even the pastor of the church anymore, he's retired. But he said, our best years are not behind us because they'd celebrate all these great things. He said, our best years are yet to come. He's the most confident guy I know in the future. And the reason is, is George knows what Daniel knew. 
that we aren't moving from life to death. Like our aging process isn't preparing us for some ending. We're moving from life to life. And so we should be preparing for that. We should be preparing our hearts for that. Gabriel told Daniel, listen, the angel Gabriel told Daniel, not in your lifetime, buddy. Not in your lifetime. He said 70 times seven, which is a way, you know, we've said 40 years in the Bible means a long time. 490 years is a way of saying a really, really long time. But Gabriel told Daniel that after that period of time, an anointed one would come. And this anointed one would be killed and would experience the full amount of suffering, more suffering than Daniel encountered in his life. But he said, and that anointed one will also be the one who saves. Hmm. Well, some years later, the angel Gabriel shows up to a teenage girl named Mary. And Gabriel tells Mary, you're going to carry in your womb the anointed one that I told Daniel about. And she does. She names him Jesus and he grows to be a man. And at 30 years old, Jesus is baptized in water by his cousin, John. And as best people can tell, the people much smarter than me that understand the dating of the time of Daniel and what Gabriel exactly said to um, Daniel, that it would be 483 years when the anointed one came And it was 483 years after Gabriel spoke to Daniel that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And Jesus walked around, his body holding the perfect justice of God and the perfect mercy of God in one person. And sometimes people uh, would ask Jesus about this, this, you know, how does this work? And one time his disciples said, we've heard about this forgiveness that you're offering. We've actually heard it said that you should forgive seven times What do you say, Jesus? How many times should we forgive? And Jesus said, not seven times, but seven times 70 times. And in that moment, Jesus connects back to the story of Daniel to say the full extent of God's justice and judgment, which has to be executed, will never exceed the full extent of the mercy of God. That is his righteousness. That no matter what punishment might be coming our way, God has set in place a rescue plan that can never be taken away. To which we say to our righteous God, this is Daniel's prayer. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. I thought it'd be cool to pray an old prophetic prayer out of our mouths 2,500 years ago. Would you pray that with me? Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God. For your people and your city bear your name. Amen. I want to invite you to say another prayer with me that is leading up to communion that we've prayed here a bunch of times, but you'll see how much it is like the prayer of Daniel. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let's pray together. Merciful God, We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.